you'll pardon that little exchange. But that little exchange is a very special ex exchange today. Um, for the past several months, I've been talking about this year, God's laid on my heart to, to want to teach 2 Timothy because 2 Timothy was so important in my life um, 55 years ago when as a rebellious teenager, God smacked me down and dealt with me very kindly and drew me to himself. And, uh, and uh, 2 Timothy became very important in my life. At that point, as I was a young man, Timothy uh, was, the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy was written by an old preacher to a young preacher. And, and that was very important to me. Now I'm an old preacher. And, and I've been, I've been uh, desiring to, to preach that. Okay, now, I hope I can get through this. The, uh, within a week or two after that, uh, after that event, I went to be a counselor. Uh, my, my father was the camp speaker and, uh, for, at Prescott Pines, and I was a counselor, and we did music for the, for the camp. And one of my, one of my campers... Junior high boys, I was in charge of 14 junior high boys, uh, was named Leonard Armstrong, and he was a 12-year-old punk, and, uh, and uh, I, was, I was his counselor, and uh, that was one of the most wonderful weeks of my life uh, as, as a counselor for those, for those young men, and uh, Leonard and I are still friends uh, 55 years later, but we were friends before that. This, this story gets fun. Leonard uh, met, a, I don't know if you already knew, but he met a, a girl there that week. They're in junior high, and they fell in love. And a few years later, my father performed their marriage ceremony. And they were awfully young, and we have often wondered if they were going to make it. But they just had their 50th wedding anniversary. So, so maybe they're, they're, they're going to make it, okay? They had a son who was named after me. They had six children. They were all named after me. You, you, you'll get that in a minute. Okay? <laughs> but I claim Bobby uh, because, uh, because of our friendship. And uh, Bobby, we just found out, lives here in Casa Grande and so, and, and so forth. Now, this, this story gets a whole lot better because the, I told you about Leonard. Leonard's parents uh, played guitar and violin for my father's, on my father's television ministry at Flagstaff. So we have that connection. But Leonard's mom, or, or Bobby's mama, uh, his his mother's mother in 1960 and she came to my father's graveside service and gave her testimony how she trusted Christ as Savior listening to my father's radio ministry in 1960. Shortly thereafter uh, we had an evangelistic meeting in Bonita to help start a church where the Hiltons were living at that time and, and several members of, of the family were trusted Christ as Savior including uh, Bobby's aunt, Bonnie, who has been, uh, who went, went on to Bible college, became a missionary nurse, 
married Randall Studdard, and they have been missionaries to Muslim-speaking nations for over 40 years. And uh, uh, I told you that, that, uh, that Barbara Hilton uh, came and gave her testimony at my father's uh, funeral, uh, uh, graveside service a few days later, a few uh, months later. I had the privilege of visiting her on her deathbed. And uh, so this young man back here is very special to me. Our families have a lot of connections. And, uh, and, and it's, I, I tell you that story uh, the, the, about, about that today. I wouldn't ordinarily do that, but, but it underlines what we've been trying to say, what God did 55 years ago, and how God has continued to work, and how, how important this is uh, to me and, and, and uh, in, the, in the carrying on of the gospel. So with that in mind, let's take our Bibles and turn to, to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we want to, uh, we, we're going to be dealing with a, a very interesting passage of scripture this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, God's word says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, sharing this suffering, as a good soldier of Jesus, Christ Jesus. A soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he com competes according to the rules. It's the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The Apostle Paul had been zealous for the gospel, faithful, focused, and fervent. And he's writing to Timothy, uh, a young man who was going to be taking over uh, the, the mantle of leadership that Paul had had. And this, 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 chap, this book is, is so vitally important because it was Paul's last will and testament. We come to this text. It's kind of an interesting text in that when you first look at it, how are you going to get any homiletics out of this? Uh, you know, this 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 looks like a bunch of random statements, uh, uh, mixed metaphors, and, and you know, how do we draw anything from this? And then you begin to realize that, that what Paul is dealing with is a whole list of different things, but the common denominator is Paul is saying to these people, stay focused, stay focused, okay? Paul is say, saying to, what I believe the overall message here Paul is giving to Timothy is, you're going to have a lot of opportunities to get sidetracked. But I want you to, to know that you, you have to stay focused. And so there are going to be several different things here that Paul is going to say to Timothy. But if we keep in mind the overall overriding theme that Paul, Paul is saying to Timothy, stay focused on what's important. I think, we'll, I think we'll find some, some very wonderful nuggets of truth. He begins by saying, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I find it, I find it interesting, strengthened by grace. How, how, how do we become strengthened by grace? Oh, we're saved by grace. We, we, we know that. And, and, and we preach the grace of God. Uh, our salvation is by grace, through faith, 
not of works, lest any man should boast. We understand that we are undeserving of anything without the grace of God. We're we're undeserving of anything, period. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd have nothing. We understand that God is sovereign over all all of the results of our lives and ministry. But how do we encourage ourselves in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? What does that say? I'm going to suggest to you this morning upon the authority of the word of God that because of the grace of God, we see neither success nor failure. All we see is faithfulness. You see, when when Paul says, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, he is completely removing from Timothy any responsibility for the results of his work. God is saying all we do is preach the gospel of Christ, and it is Christ who is, who is responsible for everything. 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found, what? Faithful. You see, it's so important that, that we understand that our encouragement does not come from our successes. Nor does discouragement come from our failures. Our job is simply to be faithful. And our strength is found in knowing that God will accomplish his will, his purpose, in his way, even in my failures. I will tell you right now that there's been many a time in my life and ministry where I looked at what I have done, and when you reach my age, you have, you have plenty of things to remember where you failed, okay? I, and, if, and if I allow myself to focus on that, it can become very discouraging. But we have to encourage ourselves. We're strengthened by the fact that God has been in control in all of it. And God is going to accomplish his purposes for his glory in his way, no matter, no matter what. Now, does that give us carte blanche to do all kinds of stupid things? Obviously not, because faithfulness would not take us there. But the fact of the business is we're strengthened. Our focus has to be on faithfulness. And we're strengthened by the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus. The will of God, all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. If we could come to grips with the truth that nothing we do earns us any merit with God, it's altogether of grace, then we will both not be discouraged when things go wrong, quote unquote, and we'll not be Puffed up when things go right. We're encouraged. We're strengthened by the grace of God. And then our, the next verse talk, talks about being, to, to commit to faithful men. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. I'm going to submit to you this morning that the most important result of our ministry is 
passing on the truth. The, the, the most important thing we can do is pass on the truth. Now, we understand that in a couple of different uh, uh, lights here. First of all, is the obvious of, of, uh, of uh, uh, preaching the gospel. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The Great Commission. We, 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 we preach to every, every generation. But also, we, we train faithful men who can... can uh, can be leaders. The most important result of our ministry is passing on a truth. I'm going to suggest to you this morning that the most difficult part of our ministry is passing on the truth. Again, we see this at many different levels. We see this at the level of, of uh, uh, in our homes. What's the hardest thing in the world for us? is the recognition that we have children and we cannot guarantee their salvation. We cannot, we cannot say, well, you know, if I do this, this, and this, I know my children will be saved. I can't guarantee that my children will get out of bed in the morning when they're supposed to, especially when they get to be teenagers. All right? And how... <laughs> If you have children and they're grown, you look back and you say, oh, my goodness, how in the world did we get through all that? I mean, I don't care who you are and how many seminars you've attended and how many books that you've read and, and so on and so forth. The bottom line is kids are kids, and no matter what you do, they have a sin nature. And until God does something about the sin nature, we can train them. We can get them to where they're, you know, smack, they, they understand smack wrong and candy right. If they do wrong, whack. They do right, they get candy. And, and we, we can train them like little puppy dogs, you know, and if you do this and, and, and so on and so on. And, and, and for many people, they feel that if they can train their child like a, first of all, a lot of people spend more time training their dogs and their kids, but we're not going to preach on that this morning. <laughs> but we feel if we can get our, you know, our, our children to obey at the level of sit, roll over, beg, you know, and, and so on, and so on we, we, we've shot the big one, okay? The, 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 the truth is we may get them to do what we want them to do, but until God changes their heart, we haven't passed anything on. We haven't, we haven't seen anything uh, of real importance. Passing on the truth. My son will be traveling to, uh, to uh, Dallas this week. Uh, the, uh, he's on the board of IRBS, and I'm very excited about that because IRBS is a is a seminary that is, that is actively doing all they can to train pastors to, to fill pulpits uh, around the world. And when they started out, the, the question they asked is, who will teach your children the word of God? Passing on the truth. Now, I'm going to submit to you that one of the biggest problems we have in passing on the truth is oftentimes in our own pride and arrogance, we're more interested than winning an argument than we are in passing on the truth. 
I love the study of apologetics. And down through the years, I have, I have enjoyed being able to learn things that help us to understand the reasonableness of Christianity. Okay? It is reasonable to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The, the, uh, the atheist will say, but that is faith. At least, my friend, it's faith in something. The, the evolutionist it has faith in nothing. Where did the universe come from? He has nothing, nothing upon which he can hang his hat. Nothing that, that enables him to say, okay, here, here's, here's, you know, here's how it happened. He doesn't have a model. He doesn't have a person. He doesn't have evidence. He doesn't have anything. It's absolute blind faith. And I love being able to say, look, it is reasonable. It is more scientific to believe that God created the heavens and the earth than it is to believe that the universe came into existence from nothing. When I studied biology in high school, we had a whole section on on the, the idea of uh, does life come from dead inorganic material? And they showed absolute scientific proof that life comes only from life. That's an axiom of science. That's beyond theory. That's beyond law. That's it's an axiom. Something we know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And yet, scientists have to believe that life came from dead inorganic material. In order, it's not scientific, okay? And I love being able to deal with those things, and there's so many more things, and I love those studies. But I'm going to suggest to you this morning, my friend, that one of our biggest problems, even in the study of apologetics, is we become more interested in winning an argument than we do preaching the gospel. More interested in making sure that we are smarter than the other guy than saying, here is the grace of God. Notice, I want to read two passages of scripture to you. And I want you to see an apparent contradiction. But I want you to see what really is here is a, is a um, harmony of two wonderful truths. First Peter chapter 3, verse 14 says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. <clears throat> Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks uh, you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Now notice... Uh, who, anybody who asks a reason for the hope that is in you, you can, you can defend that. You can defend your position. Okay? But listen to Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Uh, that you have been taught. Avoid them. On the one hand, what does Paul say, or Peter say? Peter says, be ready to give an answer. Paul says, avoid people who are just trying to throw up obstacles. 
It's interesting, is it not? It's back to the, the Psalms, or the Proverbs. Answer a fool in his folly. Answer not a fool in his folly. Okay? And, and you have consecutive verses that are absolutely contradictory to one another until you realize that they are wisdom verses and they are giving us something that is very, very important. There's a time to speak. There's time to keep your mouth shut. William, uh, uh, Will Rogers used to say, never miss a good opportunity to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and I must suggest to you that many of us would do very well if we learned to keep our mouth shut. Now, the, the, uh, the, the, the truth here is, the, the balance that we're trying to establish, we're trying to establish the importance of passing on the truth. We pass on the truth by teaching the truth not by, by winning arguments. And so, what is, what is Paul saying here to Timothy? Stay focused. Don't let people get you off, off track. Stay focused in training people to train people. And then verse 15, um, excuse me, then in, in verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No, wait a minute, I misread that. Uh, it, it surely doesn't say that. Um, no, it, it can't say that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What happened to your best life now? What happened to something good is going to happen to you today? Where did this share in suffering as a... You don't... Surely the Bible doesn't say that. But it does. We share in suffering. Years ago, I had a neighbor down in, in Sunsides. Uh, he lived out in, out in the boonies. The first person I ever knew that completely was off the grid. He, 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 had, he was not tied to anybody. He had total, he had a, everything that you want in a house, you know, but, but it was all, it was all uh, solar, wind generated, and, and so on and so forth. But in getting, getting to know this man, I found out that he was the veteran of four different beach invasions during World War II. And um, he had some interesting stories. Like many uh, World War II veterans, he didn't like to tell a lot of the stories, uh, but he would say some things. He didn't go into a lot of details. But I asked him, what, it was, what was it like and he said, well, the first thing you have to understand when you're in those kind of situations, you don't know the big picture. You don't know what the generals are thinking. You don't know what the orders that the captains are giving and, and so on and so forth. All you know is you are in a foxhole, and, and the only people that are important to you is this guy and this guy. And your whole survival is not based upon what those guys do, but what these two guys do. And, and, and that has been so, so uh, helpful to me 
that down through the years. Share in suffering. What happens if your best life is now, my friend? And you're going to hell. Did you stop and think about that? This is the best it's going to get. I'm thankful that there's something better than this. Amen? I had, uh, I had a basal cell carcinoma removed on Monday. I'm now officially a cancer survivor. My back hurts, okay, from, from that thing. I don't want this to be the best I can have. Suffering. What happens when the doctor says cancer? The judge says guilty. The loved one says, I don't love you anymore. What if they all believe the lies that people told about you? What if the police officer comes to the door and says there's been an accident and your loved one did not survive? Friends, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer in life because Job 14.1 says, man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. It's interesting that Job in all the midst of all that he was going through, did not say, well, well why me? He said, this is, this is part of life. This is, this is, Oftentimes we fail to note that not only are we suffering, but others around us are suffering. I saw a video this week that was extremely uh, interesting. There was a there was a uh, a transsexual uh, speaking before some I don't know if it was a city council or whatever, and she she had run out of or he I, I don't know this person had run out of words and and used their three minutes to just scream, and they they introduced what they were saying by saying we want you to know our pain. And on the one hand, I have no sympathy for what this person was trying to accomplish. But on the other hand, it hit me how much not just this person and persons like her or like them are, are, are suffering, but everybody around us is suffering. This person verbalized, is that a right word for this situation? Uh, didn't say anything, but spoke eloquently, okay? Suffering. You see, I believe this is why Galatians 6.2 commands us, bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. We suffer as soldiers. What, when, when you see battle, what's one of the Pictures that comes to your mind almost immediately. A fallen brother and the others around him who come to the aid and, and are going to drag that person to safety. Do whatever they can to save that person's life. They're, they're, they're all together bearing one another burdens as a good soldier. I want to suggest to you to, this evening, this morning, upon the authority of the word of God, that we... That we uh, that we, that we understand the importance of, of 
bearing one another's burdens. Not trying to build ourselves up, but bearing one another's burdens. Sharing in the suffering. And then the verse, next verse is, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I mentioned a moment ago, the, the, my friend who said the, the objective when, when he was in these uh, beach invasions was, yeah, we, we, we want to we win the battle, but we want to survive, and I want my friends to survive. If we've accomplished that, we've done well. We do best in battle when we please the one giving the orders. Hebrews 2.9, I love this. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man, for it became him for whom all are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. If Christ was made perfect through sufferings, may I suggest to you that we are going to be made perfect through sufferings. And we have to be careful not to get entangled with things that don't count. I watched a few years ago the, the, um, the Band of Brothers series that uh, was the chronicling of uh, Easy, Easy Company, and, and uh, some of you have seen it. And uh, I became intrigued with that and, and, and tried to do some more study. One of the things that uh, I read a couple of different, a biography of, of uh, Major Winters and, and some other things. And uh, one of the things that, that uh, was very, very, uh, um, a theme that, that went through all this was, was the fact that the Major Winters was not just a hero on TV. He was, he, he was able to accomplish what he did because he led. Uh, he was the one, he was the captain that, that led his men. He didn't tell them to go into battle. He led them into battle. And, uh, and some, of the, the, some of the private soldiers and so forth that served under him had nothing but, but awe and respect for this man. May I say to you that a tremendous example, Christ is to us and what we are to be to, our, to others. And then an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, again, the, the metaphors just seem to, okay, they're just going all over. But, but here again, the, the focus. The athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. My son, uh, my youngest son, called me yesterday, and he uh, ran in the uh, Indy Mini. They have a half marathon every May, and when he was... Um, when he was still a teenager, he ran three years and had not run for several years. And now as a 35-year-old, he, he ran again. Like to kill him. But, but, uh, but um, you can't think of marathons without thinking, if, if you're into those kind of things at all, without the name Rosa Ruiz coming into it. I look at everybody's face. You don't have any idea who that is. And it's just as well that the whole world forgets who Rosa Ruiz was. But 
Rosa Ruiz was a runner that was supposed to do well in the Boston Marathon and she wasn't doing well. And she finally uh, realized that she was not going to, to win the race and she was ticked. And so she took a left turn, jumped on the subway and rode to the next, the, the next uh, 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 terminal and got off and all of a sudden here she comes down the corridor, first place, waving her hands and there, the crowd all cheering and so on and so forth and, and, uh, and got the wreath, put on her neck and the whole nine yards and the, the other lady said, where did she come from? And they got to inspecting and so on and so forth and realized that she is one of the most famous cheaters of all time. Okay? Rosa Ruiz. Now, she did not do things the way she was supposed to, and she went down in shame. Friends, we don't serve God on our terms. We have to serve on his terms. We're neither legalists, Pharisees, or antinomians. No law. What are we? If, if we're not legalists, if we're not antinomian, what are we? Well, we're free. Well, what are we free to do? We're free to obey God. We're, we're free to obey the law, to do what we could not do in our own strength, in our own power, by our own means. All of a sudden, we are free, set free by the gospel of Christ. And we work within the rules, the law, because we can, because we've been set free. And then it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And somebody's going to say, yeah, I knew he'd get to money sometime. Well, the, uh, it's interesting here. Paul is giving a charge to Timothy, talking about what he needs to do. And, and, he, and uh, what is one of the easiest ways for us to get out of focus in our service for the Lord? May I suggest to you that, that it's, it's when we are, are focused on money. That's a curious thing. We have to work. Am I right? Uh, we, we, have to, we have to have money. The other day I was talking to a guy that used to be my, my clerk at, at Fort Grant, and uh, he uh, got a, another job, and he he's, um, has been in church for a while, and I saw him on the yard, and I said, hey, you know, we've been missing you. He, says, uh, he said, well, he said, I've been busy. I said, too busy. And, uh, and uh, it's... It's it's a it's a it's a real fact. Am I right? Now, you say, but but I but I have to. Okay. What do I have to do? I have to obey God. Am I right? Now, part of obedience to God is to provide for my family. If I'm not if I don't take care of my family, I'm worse than an infidel. The Bible's very clear about that. Am I right? But like so many things, it's not. The good and bad that, that, that toss us, but the better and best. Oftentimes, it is something that's, that's good that throws us because we traded the good for the best. 
we need to understand if we're going to stay focused that, that God is going to provide. For, for Timothy, Paul was saying, look, God is going to provide, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first one to share the, share the crops. That, that's, that's axiomatic, okay? But how about us? Well, we rest on Philippians 4.19. For my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Leaving us free to focus. Leaving us free to make sure that our primary thing is serving the Lord. Walking with the Lord. Uh, doing all that that he commands us to do. And then Paul finishes this passage by saying, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Strengthened by the grace of God. Entrusting to faithful men. Sharing in suffering. Not getting entangled in civilian pursuits. Competing lawfully. Trusting the Lord. And all these things focused on serving the Lord. Think it over. The Lord will give you understanding. Let's bow our heads in prayer.